0: This evening I want to consider uh, verses 1 to 9, but verses 6 to 9 in particular. So we're going to look at um, the overall section, 1 to 9, but we're then going to uh, concentrate on verses uh, 6 to 9. In another passage, in uh, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 12, uh, Paul speaks about those who are without Christ. Those who are without Christ uh, as people who have no hope and he says that they are without God in the world and that's true of every one of us here in the building this evening Um, at one time we were those people who were outside of Christ having no hope and we were without God in the world but by the grace and the mercy and the love of God many of us have been rescued rescued from lives of hopelessness and godlessness we've been given hope we've been given not just hope but a living hope as Peter speaks about it here living hope in Christ it's a living hope because we have a living saviour and our hope is all tied in with him and as people who have now received this hope and we look out on a world uh, or those in our own homes who are people who are without hope and as people who now have this hope we ought to Desire to share this hope in Christ with others, family, friends, uh, the community around us. And when we speak about hope, we come to a very uh, appropriate letter uh, in the letter of Peter because Peter uh, himself is very often referred to as the apostle of hope. Uh, because of the hope in Christ that he shares with these scattered uh, believers that he speaks about in verse uh, 1, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Um, it's in the area that we know today as Turkey. At the very end of his letter, uh, chapter 5, and verse 13, uh, we learn that Peter is writing from Babylon. Now, it's not um, Babylon, Um, where the exiles were sent Um, Babylon is sometimes used as a a designation uh, to refer to Rome Um, this is the way the apostle John uh, uh, does so in Revelation 17 verses 5 and 19 he's speaking about Babylon but it's really um, a a designation a way of talking about Rome Uh, at the end of the letter we learn that Peter Um, is with uh, Silvanus Um, sometimes he's referred to as Silas Um, so Silvanus uh, also known as Silas uh, and also Mark are with Peter in Rome and he's writing to these scattered uh, believers Uh, and the the churches that he writes to are made up of a mixture of both Jews and Gentiles there are elements within the letter Uh, that make it obvious that he's writing to people who who have some understanding um, uh, of the Old Testament uh, and, uh, uh, again, to others who have no um, background uh, at all. Um, So it's both Jews and Gentiles. But one thing that they they do have in common is that they are believers who have been suffering uh, various degrees of persecution because of their faith in Christ and so Peter is writing this letter to them to uh, encourage them, uh, to remind them of the hope that they have uh, in Christ. Uh, and in order to stimulate this hope, to strengthen their hope, um, he encourages them to keep on trusting and obeying. Trust and obey. Uh, and what he does here at the very start of his letter is he? He tells. He's telling them to look up, and he's telling them to look forward. Look up, look forward, and live godly lives. Live holy lives, and rejoice in all that God has already done for you, and what He has promised to do for you as His chosen people. So now, whether somebody, somebody, is somebody, somebody who is uh, without hope because they are not a believer, they're not a Christian they are without hope because they, they, they don't have Christ and they are without God or someone who does have Christ and does have God and yet they have lost hope the remedy for the two is the same so you've got the unbeliever who is without hope without Christ, without God. You've got the believer who does have Christ, who does have God, but because of uh, circumstances, because of some particular situation, they're feeling hopeless. The remedy for both of them is the same. And that is to point the unbeliever to Christ and to point the discouraged believer to Christ. Look up and look forward. And this is exactly what uh, Peter does at the beginning uh, the opening of his letter. Uh, Verses 1 to 5, he's doing this, look up and look forward. Um, First of all, he's, he's telling them to look up. They're looking around uh, at their situation and what they see is disheartening. It's discouraging. And so he begins, he's he's saying, look up. Look up, where? To the source, to the source of our salvation. Chapter 1, verse 1, he reminds them, or verse 2, he reminds them that they are elect. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father their elect he's saying you have been chosen you have been chosen by God according to his foreknowledge God has chosen them he has foreknown them and that word can mean for love. he has foreknown them from all eternity you're discouraged now and you're disheartened but look up to the one who has chosen you you and he chose you from all eternity but For foreknowledge God has set his love upon you when he chose you look up look up from all your difficulties look up from your sense of hopelessness look up from your despair to the one who is the source of our salvation. Look up to the God who has chosen a people for himself. Indeed, he has chosen you. According to his foreknowledge. According to his love for you. Chosen you, but that's not all. He has made you holy. in verse 2. Made you holy through sanctification of the Spirit. Through sanctification of the Spirit. Made holy. He has made you fit to be part of God's family. To be part of God's kingdom. You haven't worked it out for yourself. You haven't earned it. He has made you fit. He has made you holy by the work of his Spirit. So he has chosen you. He has made you fit. He has made you holy. How? By cleansing. Again, verse 2. Through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. The sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. He's washed you. He's washed you. He has made you clean. Our sins, as we were thinking about this morning, our sins have been dealt with. They have been paid for. Our debt to God has been cleared. But it has only been cleared and dealt with by the blood of Jesus Christ. So at the very start, he's saying, he's reminding them, he's, look up, look up. Yeah, all all this stuff is going on in your life, but look up and look up to the source of your salvation I'm not sure if any of you remember a man called Rich Gantz Ring a bell for anybody? No? Yeah, one one person um, Rich Gantz well he's now a retired uh, Reformed Presbyterian minister in Canada, originally from New York um, uh, and as a, a Jewish person he um, headed off to Europe and uh, somewhere on his travels he ended up meeting the Shapers and, uh, um, or at least uh, associates of the Shapers and he, was, he heard the gospel and he was converted and Rich Gantz was a psychiatrist so he goes back to New York um, now as a believer and um, he starts to try and do his job as a Christian Sorry, I should have said um, I, um, I met him or a lot of people met him because um, he came to Trinity he's a great friend of Ted Donnelly's and Ted had him over a couple of times and he, he did a couple of things for ministers and, uh, um, so he was over um, at least two, two times um, uh, in Trinity uh, but anyway he, he, he starts to do his work as a believer in uh, the psychiatric ward And he started to tell people about Jesus. And people were converted. And their lives started to get sorted out. And the mess that was going on in their head, a lot to do with what was going on in their lives, began to be made clear and to get sorted. And they were leaving the hospital. And you'd think that the hospital would be delighted that These patients were being uh, restored, uh, fixed um, but they weren't too happy because of how it was happening. I don't know the outcome of the story whether he got fired or um, politely asked to leave but um, he ends up uh, or ended up uh, moving to Canada and becoming uh, a minister over there and I think that's... um, I think that's where Andrew Quigley uh, might be um, now, is in his congregation. Uh, but the thing that struck me when Rich Gantz was over, because he was he was talking about the whole psychiatric background, and um, he said that he started. He, he would read the Psalms and read the Psalms with his psychiatrist hat on, and then with his pastor hat on. And he, those Psalms were. The psalmist is crying out to God, God, what are you doing? What, what is this mess in my life? Why are things happening the way that they're happening? And he said that in every one of those psalms that, uh, where, where the psalmist is crying out to God, pleading because of some awful situation, in every one of them except one, the psalm ends with praise and thanksgiving. And as the psychiatrist he was, how did the what happened? How did it get fixed? What happens in the psalm? That one minute he's crying and pleading to God because he feels that God's far from him, God's forgotten him. And by the end of the psalm he's thanking God and he's praising God. And Rich Gant said, it's very simple very simple He looked up. He looked up. He brings his problem to God. And he looks up to God. And cries out to God. Hear me. Deliver me. Help me. And his trust. His hope. His faith in God. Assures him. That he hears. That he will deliver. That he will work. We're not always told that things change in his life in the psalm but his understanding and his perspective of what's going on in his life changes his heart changes and his look changes he's now looking to God depending and trusting in him and that's where Rich Gantz says that's what happens That simply looking up and that's exactly what Peter's doing here these people who are in trouble look all over the place and you you'll just you're just finding more problems. Peter says, David says, the psalms say, it. look up, look up, get this perspective, get the perspective from our God who upholds us and sustains us. Psalm eighty-eight is the one psalm where the psalm doesn't resolve. He's crying at the start, and it seemed to, le- to be left hanging there at the end. Psalm 44 might be another possibility, but definitely with Psalm 88. But in all the rest, in all the rest, this is the solution. And this is what Peter encourages them to do. Look up verses 1 to 2. Then he goes on and he encourages them in verses 3 to 5 to look forward. Look forward. Look forward to the guarantee. The guarantee of our salvation. And he tells us our salvation is guaranteed by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Verse 3 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. God has given us new birth new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of his son from the dead. We have a sure hope. We have a living hope because it's in a resurrected living saviour. So the guarantee of our salvation comes by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it's guaranteed to be a permanent salvation. Verse 4 To an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, our salvation is guaranteed to be a permanent one. It's an inheritance that can never perish, it can never spoil, it will never fade, and it's being kept for us. It's being kept there for us. You might wonder, yeah, but there's days um, I just feel so weak. And I just don't know how long I can keep going. If I can hang in there. Peter tells us. We also have the guarantee of power. The guarantee of power. The power of God. To make sure that we will receive the outcome. Of our salvation. Verse 5. We are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation ready to be revealed in the last time we might be up and down and all over the place but we are being held and we are being kept in the almighty hand of God and he will not let us go verse 5 we are shielded we are being shielded we are being kept by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. So look up look up to the source of our salvation, to the God who has chosen you, who has sanctified you, he has made you holy, he has made you fit uh, for the for the kingdom. Uh, he has done so by sprinkling you, cleansing you washing you by the blood of his son. So the guarantee of our salvation and also the guarantee uh, of, or the source of our salvation and the guarantee of our salvation look forward, look forward keep our eyes fixed ahead. we have the guarantee uh, by the resurrection of Christ it's guaranteed to be a permanent salvation and it's guaranteed that we will be kept until that day that we receive it and then we come to verses 6 to 9 uh, of chapter 1 and here we have The joy of our salvation. The joy of our salvation. Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honour and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom, having not seen, ye love, in whom, though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice, with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. So Peter has reminded them of the the source of our salvation, verses 1 to 2. Then he tells them about the guarantee of our salvation, verses 3 to 5. And he's just showing the extent of the mercy that we have received from God. We have received great mercies. We have received abundant mercy. We have received... Great blessings from him. And now he, when he in, in verses sixty nine, Peter is setting before them our great blessings of salvation in the context of the here and now, in the in the stuff of life, in the reality of life. We have as the people of God great blessings. But they are great blessings in the midst of all kinds of trials. We have received mercy. We have received many blessings. But we are not exempt from various trials. Present day troubles. So first of all, we have this joy of our salvation. But it's joy that is in the midst of trials. Hope is one of the major themes of Peter's letter Um, but another major theme uh, for Peter is uh, the one of trials. Hope but there's also the trials. It's interesting what Peter does here. Before he comes on to consider uh, the difficulties of life, the trials that we encounter, just look at how he sets up the stage and, and the the perspective in which he, he, he wants us to think about our trials. Verse 6, uh, and sorry, I'm just the letter. Verse 6, wherein ye greatly rejoice. Wherein ye greatly rejoice. In this you greatly rejoice. So, all the things that are, are problems to us, all the things that we're suffering, they're, they're wanting to always crowd in upon us and to, 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 to come bear down upon us. Um, uh, and we could be so easily distracted or disheartened or overwhelmed by all of these different kinds of trials. And Peter's saying to them, remember where we need to have our focus. Remember where we need to have our focus. In this you greatly rejoice. So as as we now turn to think about the trials, don't forget, don't forget what we've just considered. In this you greatly rejoice. In this, what, what's he talking about? What's he talking about here? He's talking about verses 1 to 5. In these things, in verses one to five, we greatly rejoice in, in the source of our salvation, in the guarantee of our salvation, and, and the great inheritance that awaits the people of God. We greatly rejoice. Look up, look forward. And we need to to, to, to get to re- get a really good grip, a really good hold of verses one to five as we then move to consider what's going on in our life, though now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. So Peter encourages his readers to put what they know to be true in verses 1 to 5 into practice. that is a practical application uh, and the response to these truths in verses one to five should be that it makes us to greatly rejoice. It's to be a response in faith. In, in 1 John 5, verses 4 and 5, the Apostle John puts it this way he says, This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the kind of faith. This is Living hope that enables believers to rejoice even in the midst of trials. To overcome. To have victory over the world and all its trials. In this he says you greatly rejoice. Though now, though now for a season, for a little while if need be, you're in heaviness through manifold temptations or that word temptation manifold all kinds of Uh, trials he says it's for a season it's for a little while in other words what these difficult experiences that we have they they won't last forever they will pass they might go on for some time they might stretch it might be weeks it might be months it might even be years but they will be uh, there will be a limit to them and it won't go on forever it will come to an end And Peter might have been thinking here of the same truth that uh, the Apostle Paul gives us in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 17. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Our troubles and our trials, he says, they're momentary. They're momentary. They're only for a little while. They're only for a season in comparison of the bigger picture, in comparison to eternity and the glory that outweighs them all that is to come for the believer any sufferings in this life they are difficult they are hard and they might be prolonged but they are insignificant when compared with the joy the believer will experience at the end of time so whether peter is saying the same as paul here or uh, simply saying, these trials, these difficulties won't go on forever. They're only for a season. Ecclesiastes 3 and verse 1. There's a time for everything. Verse 4. There's a time to weep. But then there'll be another time when you'll laugh. A time to weep and a time to laugh. And it might seem for some that at the moment the, the tears won't end but we're assured, we are promised. Joy and laughter will come again. There are seasons of trials. There are seasons of blessings. Peter says in verse 6, For a little while uh, you may have had uh, to suffer. Uh, If need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. Or trials, if need be, or you may have had to. Uh, it might it might be necessary. Saying if these trials be needed or if they be necessary. Well, the only one who determines if we are that if we need a trial, if a trial is ne- necessary, if a difficulty is needed or necessary, is God. God determines our trials and the length of our trials and he has a good and loving purpose in them all they're according to his will Uh, 1 Peter 4 verse 19 Peter goes on later to say so then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good look what he said there Those who suffer according to God's will. God has allowed it. God has allowed it. He he might might use a person. He might use uh, circumstances. But it is God who has allowed it. It's according to his his will. Which at times means it's necessary that you suffer grief. But it's only when it is God's will, and it's only when He deems it necessary. God allows, God sends trials when it is necessary and, when, and in the right measure. He won't, he won't crush us by them. In verse 7, Peter's going to go on and explain why there are times when these trials are necessary. But in verse 6, when Peter's speaking about the suffering, the word that he uses here. It comes with all sorts of uh, ideas of being sad, being sorrowful, uh, being distressed. We're we're not told uh, the length of time, the extent of them. Um, It's all unknown, but it's brief. It will be brief in comparison to eternity. It's for a season, for a little while. And it's suffering in accordance with God's purpose. It's part of the all things. Working together for good for God's people in God's sovereign purpose in his plan in his presence in the lives of his people one commentator puts it this way he says that the trials that we experience as God's people come from God's hand in whatever form they appear they are ordained by God so consider if you're in trouble at the minute, or if you're in some difficulty at the minute. This will give you a different, a completely different picture of it, a completely different understanding, a different perspective. That this difficulty has been assigned to me, it's been designed for me by God. And God, I might not understand it, but God does have a good purpose in it. I can't see it, I can't understand it at the moment, but I am assured by a God who doesn't lie that this is what He is doing. And this ought to give us a completely different view and perspective of our trials and sorrows. A bit like the, the psalmist look up, look up, oh, woe is me, everything's going wrong, everything's falling apart. God, what are you doing? And as he looks to God and contemplates the God that he's crying out to and God's sovereignty and God's power and God's love for him, God's care of him, and how many times he's delivered him, how he's forgiven him, by the end of the psalm he's assured, whatever you're doing, God, you're doing it for my good and for your glory. Praise God. Thank you, God. Completely different perspective of the situation. Paul in prison writing to the Philippians rejoice again I say rejoice Paul didn't know what another day would bring whether he would still be alive the next day and he's writing to people who are on the outside and he's telling them to rejoice again I say rejoice well how could he do that it's because he had this perspective he had joy Even in the midst of trials because he trusted in the goodness and in the sovereignty of God. God working for Paul's good but also for the good of others. Uh, Paul writes to the Philippians and he said this has even worked out to a furtherance of the gospel. There he is in the very heart of Rome and he's even getting the gospel into the household of Rome. James James chapter 1 and verse 2. Here's a hard one. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. Consider it pure joy. How can we consider our trials to be pure joy? James explains how. Verses 3 and 4. Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete not lacking anything. Why is God doing this to me? It's because he's teaching me to persevere, to hang on, to trust in him. As Job said, though he slay me, this perseverance will make you mature as a child of God. It will make you complete. Not lacking anything. And these things can't be achieved any other way. Which concurs exactly with what Peter is saying here in verse 7. That the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth. Though it be tried with fire. Might be found unto praise of honour and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Joy in the midst of trials. Why was James joyful? Why was Paul joyful? Why was Peter joyful? It's because in the second place, fruit is being produced. Fruit is being produced. Fruit, there's fruit as a result of our trials. Verses nine seven to nine. Trials produce fruit. First of all, they increase our faith. In God, verse seven, and secondly, they increase our love for God in verses eight and nine. And the term that Paul or getting getting them all mixed up now. Term, term that uh, Peter uses here has, it, has it for trials has a very wide meaning. It's all all kinds of trial, or as he says in verse six, manifold uh, temptations but he's speaking about these trials uh, for example in <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 8 uh, the writer speaks about Israel's time of testing or t- their time of trials in the desert, in the wilderness um, the people of God were being tested um, they were going through this trial in the wilderness but it was because they had rebelled because they had disobeyed because they would murmured against God and so God made them wander in the wilderness, he was teaching them he was correcting them. He was changing them. He was transforming them uh, during these trials. Uh, what's interesting there in Hebrews is when he talks about the, the this trial in the wilderness, it's very much like the, what's happening to Peter's readers. Um, they were with, without a home in the world. They're wanderers. They're exiles in a foreign land, um, much like uh, Peter's readers. But the Israelites were there because of disobedience. Um, the Peter's readers are scattered because of their faith and their obedience then in in Luke chapter 8 verse 13 we have a a different type of uh, trial the parable of the sower we're told that the seed that falls on rocky soil, on the hard soil uh, Jesus explains that these are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it but there's no root they receive it We, we think oh this person seems to be interested. Maybe they've become Christian, but Jesus says that, "But there's no root. They believe for a while, but in a time of testing, in a time of trials, they fall away. I wonder if you know somebody that might have come here, come to worship here. And you might have thought, well, uh, you're convinced that they were uh, a believer just like you. And then some mess came into their life, some Hardship, some difficulty, and they hit a bumpy road and they're gone. They're gone. Their faith was tested and it was proved not to be genuine, but it was tested by the difficulties, by the problems. Trials because of disobedience in the wilderness, trials by sifting out faith that isn't genuine in the parable of Sower. Galatians chapter 4 verse 14, Paul uh, uses uh, another term for trials. He says that even though my illness was a trial to you Galatians, uh, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn and instead you welcomed me. And the trial for the, the Galatians was the fact that Paul had been severely beaten. Paul was, he was beaten, he was left for dead in Galicia, uh, And this was a, a, a great sorrow, it was caused great distress for the believers there. Uh, for, and it was a trial to them to see Paul going through such suffering. So there's, there's all sorts of trials, many different types of trials, a wide range of trials throughout the New Testament, times of great need, uh, times of receiving abuse because you're a follower of Christ. Times when it's just a dark part passage of life a dark time in your life uh, there's the, you're in the tunnel uh, you can't see any light at the end they may be temporary, they may be occasional but there's one thing for sure, if you're a follower of Christ if you're a believer trials of some shape or size are inevitable they will come Do not be surprised. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 12. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. When the trouble comes, when the difficulty comes, when the results of your health check come, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. As if some strange thing is happening. The only wonderful thing that's happening is that God is going to do a work in you in this particular thing. Trials increase our faith. One of the fruits of trials. They're inevitable but they come to us from the hand of a good and loving Heavenly Father. And they increase our faith. They prove that our faith is genuine. That parable of the sower, Luke chapter 8, they show up those, when the difficulties come, they show up those who aren't genuine believers. They're superficial Christians. And they quickly disappear. They, they fall away. You, you don't see them again. Trials come for testing. Uh, as Peter talks about here, like putting gold into the fire. And it's through, through the trials, the dross, the impurities of this world are removed from us as we are made more and more in the likeness of Jesus and He's making us ready for heaven. And here's something to really encourage us. How many people here have never had a bad experience? How many have had no problems? How many have had no sicknesses? How many have had no losses to deal with. They're all trials. You're all trials, and you know the wonderful thing is, you're still here. You're still here. Your faith has been tested. It has been pushed to the limit. It's been sifted. It's been put into the fire, and you're still here because your faith is genuine. It's been proved. We might feel really wobbly. But we're still here. It's God's work. Our faith is much more. Far more precious to God. To God than gold. It's, our faith has eternal value. And so we ought to be encouraged. We ought to consider it all joy. Just as James says. When God is doing such a work in us. When these trials sift us, when they purify our faith because they're, they're molding us and they're shaping us into the likeness of Jesus Christ. James chapter 1 verse 3 The testing of your faith develops perseverance so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And there's fruit there's fruit from these trials. Fruit or there's, there's a result from this testing. Verse 7. That they may uh, result. The trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold. The precious though it be tried with fire. Might be found unto praise and honour and glory. At the appearing of Jesus Christ. The believer is going to share in the heavenly glory. And in the honour of When at the end of our earthly life, we enter into the presence of Jesus Christ. And here's the the perspective, the understanding that we ought to have of our trials. Peter says, when when, when this work is done in us, it's going to result in praise, in glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. At the end of the letter, chapter 5, verse 14, he says, when the chief shepherd appears, You will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Our tested faith, it doesn't earn us glory. It doesn't earn us glory. We receive glory as we share in Christ's glory. Any praise, glory and honour ultimately belongs to God's praise, to his glory and to his honour. So the fruit of our trials, there's the increase of our faith in God. To prove that it's genuine with the end result, praise, glory, and honor. Another fruit of our trials, verses 8 and 9. Whom having not seen, ye love in whom though now ye see him not yet believing, ye rejoice with joy on us unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith even the salvation of your souls another fruit of our trials is the increase of our love for god peter had the great privilege as many others the other apostles and disciples they had the great privilege to see the lord whereas the people that Peter's writing to they haven't they've never seen jesus they haven't seen him yet because of the gospel because of the message of the gospel They had come to love Jesus. They had come to believe in him. And indeed Jesus called such people blessed. As he said to Thomas in John 20 verse 29. Blessed are those who have not seen. And yet have believed. They love Jesus. They trust him. Even though they are unable to see him in this earthly life. The Apostle Paul put it this way. 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 18, we fix our eyes not on what is seen but on what is unseen. We can't see Jesus, but that's where our eyes are to be fixed. Our eyes are to be fixed on Him. We, we, we fix our eyes not on what is seen but on what is unseen. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 7 he goes on, we live, we live by faith, not by sight. So Whatever your situation is this evening, and you look and you see, all, all the mess, the mess, all, all these bills and all these things to be sorted out, and, and this stuff I had to do with the hospital, and uh, it just goes on and on and on. It's, it's what we see, what we see. We're living by what we see. We're not called to live by what we see. We're to live by faith. Looking to the unseen. Looking up. Looking up. And looking forward. We haven't seen Jesus like Peter did. We don't see Jesus now with our physical eyes. But one day we are assured in God's word that we will see Jesus. We shall see him. Though you have not seen him and even though you have not seen him now. You don't see him now, you love him and you believe in him. And there's a day coming when we shall see him when he is revealed and our faith will be fully realized. You love him, you believe in him and the fruit, the fruit of that, the result of that is, Peter says, you are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, an inexpressible joy and glorious joy, unspeakable joy, full of glory. And the phrase that Peter uses literally means, you greatly rejoice with joy. You greatly rejoice with joy. Peter, you you can tell from Peter's letter, he he is someone who is bursting with joy. He's he's already mentioned it in verse 6. He said, in this, in these things, you greatly rejoice. And you can imagine him with all that The the, the zeal and the enthusiasm that he's starting this letter. He said, yeah, you feel like everything's going wrong at the minute, but but just think, think of the big picture, think of where you are. In these things, in these things you greatly rejoice. It's it's a shouting for joy that can't be contained. And it's very conservative Reformed Presbyterians, we need to ask ourselves sometimes, where's our shouting for joy? Where's our shouting for joy because of our love for him? Because of our faith in him? Well, it might be because Peter says it's inexpressible. We can't can't express it. It's the only place where this word is used in the the New Testament. It's it's a joy that you you just can't put words to it. It can't be expressed in human terms. It's impossible to convey the depth of this joy. It's it's inexpressible. It's glorious because there's a sense a, a sense of a heavenly glory in this joy. It can't be described. Can't be expressed because there's something heavenly. There's something of God in this joy. Do we have such joy? Or perhaps. Maybe we don't experience this joy as we ought because we're simply preoccupied or overwhelmed with the sorrows and the troubles that we have to deal with. Part of the fruit of the Spirit is joy. We have the Spirit indwelling us if if we belong to God. The Spirit indwells us. And he's working this fruit, the fruit of the Spirit in us. And we ought to ask God to increase this particular aspect of the fruit of the Spirit in us. So that in our trials we we can be just like Peter, just like Paul, just like James and and many others who are able to rejoice. And again I say rejoice even in our trials. To be bursting as James says with this pure joy. Verse 9 Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Believers already enjoy many of the blessings of salvation. We have received peace with God. We have fellowship with God. But we're not in full possession of our salvation. That will be when Christ returns. Peter has already mentioned it back in verse 5 ready to be revealed in the last time. We can rejoice because we are receiving the goal of our faith. That is the salvation of our souls. And when Christ returns, we will receive the coming of the salvation ready to be revealed in that last time. Salvation is already ours. If we have trusted in Christ, we have loved him, we believe in him. But one day we are going to come into full possession of our salvation. That is when we are with him. In eternity. So whatever. Is going on in your life. Tonight. Remember. Look up. Look up. And keep looking up. Because that's the only answer. It's the only way forward. Look up to the source. Of our salvation. Remind yourself who God is but also who you are what you mean to God chosen according to foreknowledge made holy sanctified by the spirit washed by the blood of Jesus and look forward if you keep looking back you're going to trip keep looking forward look at the goal, look at the end the guarantee of our salvation and it's guaranteed not by anything we do, it's guaranteed through the resurrection of Christ and it's guaranteed to be a permanent inheritance and it's guaranteed that it's kept for us but not only that, it's guaranteed that we are guarded, we are being kept by God's power until the end and remember that We are to be a joyful people. A people filled with joy. There is joy in our salvation. But our joy comes in the midst of trials. But our trials are producing fruit. The result of our trials, an increase in our faith, when it is tested and proved genuine, it will result in praise, glory and honour. The fruit of the increase of our love for God. Though we don't see him, we love him. We believe in him. And the result, we're told, is that we will be filled with inexpressible and glorious joy as we look forward and anticipate, excuse me, the glory, goal of of our faith, the salvation of our souls.